Hey. Thank you. And thank you to those who stood and those who stayed seated. I'm not offended at all. I'm not offended. It's good to see all of you. It's great to be here. Uh, thank you, Joshua. It's awesome to be back at North Central. And um, this is where I graduated. I'm alum, an alum from here. It's where I met my wife. I, I, I got to just do the obligatory, like, point out my family, let you know who I am, who my family is. So I've got a picture of my family. I believe we can see. You can see my, there we are. It's my wife and I in the middle. We are Joe and Jen, and then my son, Joey Jr., on the left. Some of them, when you, when you said he's, he's JJ's dad, you're like, wait a minute, the JJ I know, they don't look alike. We know it, okay? So that's, that's JJ, and then our daughter, JoJo, in the middle, um, and then our daughter, JJ, our daughter, Jada, and then our youngest son, Johnny. So we are our family, and our, our two dogs are Jeffrey and Gemma. So we are Joe, Jen, JoJo, Joey, Jada, Johnny, Jeffrey, Gemma. And at the center of it all is Jesus in the middle. And, and the, the next picture I want to show you, this is my wife and I. We took this picture uh, in the Skyway here just in September. That's the Skyway, Carlson Skyway. My wife and I met almost 30 years ago. This fall will be 30 years ago. We met on the, uh, in that Skyway. It was the week of orientation. We were both transfer students in. I saw her coming down the Skyway. You know, we're there the week before all the upperclassmen show up. I saw her, she was so beautiful, way out of my league, and in my mind I thought, I'm never going to have as good of odds as I'm going to have right now, because all the other students are going to come, i got to shoot my shot now, I stopped in the skyway, I impressed her with my charm, and the rest is history. And we've been married uh, 28 years now, and... Um, then the, we have quite a story, and there's a, a picture of the book that I just wrote this past summer, and uh, it's The Tension of Redemption. I just want to do a little promo for this. It's a memoir, and it's really a testimony of everything that we've been through in our family. I'll just give you a quick rundown on of it, because I'm not going to be preaching that message today, but I do want to encourage you to, to grab the book. It's for sale out in the lobby. JJ will be out there. But in this book, this are some of the things that covered. We, got, we met here at North Central. I talk about that. I struggled with alcoholism while I was a student here. And it was hidden from my girlfriend, who's now my wife, during that time. On our wedding night, her dad's a pastor in Michigan, and he, her, her dad was shot on our wedding night. It was an attempted murder. Uh, if you like true crime, it is a crazy true crime story because the uh, intruder, the attempted murderer, was never caught, but there's a, a, just a, a ridiculous story that goes along with that. We separated six months later, a month after I had gotten credentialed as an Assembly of God minister. I had to turn my credentials back in. We were separated for, for two years and ten months on the brink of divorce that entire time. God miraculously restored our marriage against all hope, against all odds. He brought us back together. We uh, were restored, and our marriage restored to ministry. We thought we'd just kind of walk off into the sunset after that time, but then we suffered three devastating miscarriages, which led us through God's redemption to adoption. Every one of our adoptions were miraculous. We, we go into great detail of that and had our biological daughter, and then we adopted twin boys from Haiti and had a horrific experience with one of them. Um, suffering with severe emotional distress and spiritual demonic influence in his life, unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life or ministry. And we sadly had to relinquish our parental rights to one of our twins. And I detail all that story. And then just most recently, um, about three years ago, we moved to Florida to pastor at a church in Florida, and it was just really a terrible experience. And I had a stress-induced seizure two years ago and I crashed into a tree um, while having a seizure, 
and I dislocated my foot, broke that in two places, broke two ribs, shattered my spine, and uh, three vertebrae exploded, cracked 12 vertebrae, broke my neck, both shoulders are tore, they're still tore, they haven't fixed the soft tissue yet. Because I was seizing, I was holding onto the steering wheel so hard, it's super rare this happened, it tore my pec muscles off my breastplate of my chest. My lower pecs just completely tore and retracted, they're gone. And um, I got really messed up from that. They thought I was dead or for sure going to be paralyzed, but God miraculously brought me through that. I have four metal bars that go from my pelvic bone up to the middle of my shoulder blades, where 12 of my vertebrae are fused together. My neck is fused through three of the discs. And, um, and I still have some nerve damage and things I'm working through, but that, I detail that story. And really, the whole message of it all is that God redeems all of our pain and struggles. And so that's all in this book. You can check that out. That's just a little commercial. Does anyone like true crime? If you do, come up and grab the book right now. It's yours for free. There you go. It'll keep you up at night. There you go. Well, I want to get into the message today. And the message, if you're taking notes, is called From There There to There There. From There There to There There. I'd like you to all stand because I want to read some scripture. I think it's important that we stand, give honor to God's word. And I want you to focus in on this. It's from John chapter 14. And uh, we'll have those words on the screen. Now, I just want to give you, this is the, the upper room discourse, where over these three chapters, John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples at, at the Last Supper. He's warning them of things that are going to happen. He said, the world hates me. They're going to kill me. The world's going to come after you. There's going to be all these terrible things. He's preparing them for trials and tribulations in their lives. But he also, during these three chapters, talks more about the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, than really anywhere else in Scripture describing the attributes of Holy Spirit. So it's a really remarkable time. And this is what he's saying in John 14, 25 through 27. He says, these things I have spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, key in on that, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth Give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now I want you to look at the word comforter, which is a key word, a key description of the Holy Spirit as Jesus is speaking. Now here's the issue. There's a tension with that word for the Holy Spirit because when we think in this modern time, when we think of comfort, in the comforter, we can think like nookie, blanket, comforter, soft blanket, soothe me, give me solace, just make me feel better. That's part of it. And if if you ever had someone try to comfort you, like when you're crying, when you're doing like a heave cry, when you're really sad and they're trying to console you or give you some solace, have you ever had someone come up and pat you on the back and say, they're there, okay? It's kind of a nice effort, but it also feels a little like insincere. But it also, the intentions are good. So just to get in our minds comfort in comforting one another, I'd like you to put your hand on someone next to you, on their back, and just say to them, they're there. They're there. Give them a little there, there. Doesn't that feel good? Kind of good. Okay, you can have your seats. You can have your seats. So what I want you to realize is that comfort that we think of when we think of the Holy Spirit as the comforter, okay? Because that's one of the words, and it's almost as if the Holy Spirit needs rebranding because of the way we think of the word comfort when he is called the comforter. 
Okay, the true, like the Greek word that is used there is parakletos, parakletos. Okay, there's the word, we can put it up on the screen, parakletos, just leave that up there for a little bit. What that means is, you know, when we, we have parables, it means to throw alongside. The word para, paramedic, it means medical alongside, paralegal, legal alongside. And so what this means is to be called alongside with strength, with aid, with power, with help. Now the problem is, that that word really means something that is way more powerful than a there, there. It's way stronger than just consoling or giving you some appeasement after you've cried, after you've been hurt, after something bad has happened to you. It's not the kind of comfort that we think of because over time, words take on a new meaning. And that's what I love about Bible study. I love about just reading the Word of God and being led by the Holy Spirit and doing a deep dive and a study because we find out that meaning in words is so much greater than what we take at just first glance. So the, the word comfort, when this was originally translated, because in a lot of versions of the Bible, it won't say comfort, it'll say advocate or counselor or helper. But the reason that comfort was used originally in the first translations to English, is because the word comfort back then had a much stronger meaning. The word comfort in English really came from Latin, which meant with strength. So like, I'm not a music guy, but I know a musical term is forte, like powerful strength, and com means with, so like with strength. It doesn't mean they're there, let me console you. It means this is power. Like when someone says, what is your forte? What is your strength? Like, what's your go-to thing? What's your benefit? What, what's the best that you have to bring? It's saying, with strength. Way, way more powerful than just a pat on the back. Now, just to, like, go a little bit deeper on this, I was thinking about how words change meaning over time. So, comfort, for comforter, is not a mistranslation. It's not wrong. It's just, I mean, it's accurate, but it's just not right in our language today, and we need to understand that more. And even in your lifetime, you've probably learned how certain words have changed. I have, I'm 50 years old. During my lifetime, a lot of words have changed. Like, I know that there was a, when I grew up, like, flip-flop sandals, okay? Everyone can picture flip-flop sandals. When I grew up, those were called thongs. Okay, they were. That's what they were called, okay? They were called thongs. It just was. But no, that's taken on a new meaning, right? Now you wouldn't say it. Well, I know a pastor friend of mine who was a youth pastor, and this, there was a special music, a fine arts teenage student, teenage girl, sang a song, okay, special music, and she was wearing flip-flops that were all bedazzled and had like little jewels and sparkles on them and everything. Well, when the older senior pastor got up after her, remember, those used to be called thongs, he got up on the stage and did this. As she's walking off, imagine this teenage girl wearing the flip-flop sandals with the bedazzled sandals. He gets up and goes, well, we were just blessed by that young lady's sparkly voice and her sparkly thong. That's what he said as she walked off the stage. Really? Like, everyone's going like, no, that's inappropriate. Don't say that. Like, it's weird. Well, he wasn't wrong from his terminology, but it seemed really awkward in the moment, okay? That's how words can take on new meaning. So when we think of comfort for the comforter, the Holy Spirit, I want you to think today about the power and the strength the Holy Spirit wants to bring to you. And that's the real kind of comfort that he gives. There's a few points that I have today. And the first one is that we want to go, God wants to bring us from comfort to tough 
love. I love tough love. I've grown, let me say this, I've grown to love tough love. Um, in my years of following Jesus and going through a lot of tough times, going through a lot of traumatic experiences, and the deeper I go with God, the more I enjoy tough love. The more I enjoy reading scripture that at first glance seems kind of tough and kind of harsh, but when you, when you have a love, when you have intimacy with God, you don't always take it that way because you know that God's word loves us, cares us, wants to shape us, wants to change us. You know the Holy Spirit, when he speaks to us, and it can maybe even seem a little harsh or there's a, a hard message or a tough response to something, you can know that like God loves me, he has what's best for me. I'm not offended by that because he cares for me more than I can care for myself. Now think about that, like it's sometimes we can have a hard time with that with scripture, but everyone just take a moment and think about the person, the leader, the mentor, the coach, the professor, the teacher, the boss, the sensei, whatever you want to call it, the, the, the person in your life that you think back on who had the biggest impact in your life. That coach, that teacher that just pulled something out of you that you didn't think was there, that you look back on them and like, man, they formed who I am today. Now, as you think about that person, I would bet, I would wager that there were times where you didn't like them. There were times where maybe they made you cry, or you thought they were being unfair or mean to you, or why don't they understand where I'm coming from? How could they say that to me? I can't do anymore, but they pushed me. But now that you have the perspective of time, you can see that they saw some things in you that you didn't realize in the moment. They saw potential in you that you didn't know you had. And so you love them with a deeper love now because of the tough love they displayed in your life back then, but at the time you didn't really like it. That's a maturing process we go through is we understand that about tough love. There's a, there's a video that I want to show you in just a second of an example of this. My favorite UFC fighter of all time is GSP, George St. Pierre. Uh, arguably the best UFC, best MMA fighter of all time. And he had this unique relationship with his trainer, Greg Jackson. Greg Jackson, his trainer, is the best trainer ever. He, he trained uh, John Jones, George St. Pierre, all like the best, most elite fighters of all time. And he had a unique way of training these guys. He, had a, he revolutionized the sport because rather than having just like a hands-off approach to training them, he would take the fighters, have them live with him in a house for months they would train together. He knew intimately how they slept, what they were eating, what their mood was like. Are they feeling good? Are they feeling bad? When to push, when to pull. He, there was such a deep family relationship he had with these guys that they loved him and he loved them in a way that had never been displayed before. But there's this classic scene from a fight. It's a championship fight that George St. Pierre's in. It's right before the final round, the fifth round, championship fight. Everything's on the line. He's been training his whole life for this moment, and he gets injured, and this is the exchange they have in the corner. Okay, that's kind of funny because when you see that, you're like, his trainer's mean, okay? He's in the corner, and George St. Pierre's saying, I just tore my groin. I'm hurt. And his trainer says, I don't care 
Hit him with your groin if you need to. That sounds terribly mean, but it actually is the most loving thing that probably has ever been said to George St. Pierre. Because what did his trainer know? He knew you've got a soft tissue tear. You're going to be okay. It's not life-threatening. It's not a broken bone. It's not internal injuries. This is everything you've worked for your entire life for this moment. You can fight through a, a muscle tear and still win this fight, which he did. And he's saying, I don't care. Go hit him with your groin. Look past your pain. Look to your potential. You can do this. That seems so mean, but he is loving GSP, George St. Pierre, more than he would love himself. That's also why they don't have moms in the corner of fighters, because a mom would be like, oh my gosh, you tore your groin? Let me hug you, let me console you, let me pat you in the back and say, there, there. But that love, that encouragement, is the kind of strength that he needed at that time to win the fight. Tough love from Jesus is displayed all through Scripture, and I love to see it. I mean, a lot of people who don't read the Bible they think that Jesus was just walking around spewing loving statements all the time. And then when you re really read the Gospels, you're like, man, Jesus would get canceled today. He's harsh. He is hard. Like, he brings it. He really does. And I love this, this account in Scripture that he has with John the Baptist. John the Baptist has been arrested, and he's in jail. And you got to remember, this is the John the Baptist who was inside his mother's womb when Mary, with Jesus in her womb, came up and he leapt for joy. I mean, Jesus and John were cousins. Scripture doesn't show us their upbringing altogether, but they knew each other. They were well acquainted with each other. And even when Jesus started his, his earthly ministry, John the Baptist, who's baptizing people at the river, he stops everything and points a finger and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John stood up to all the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. He was like out there. He was fearless. He was courageous. He was put his whole mission in life was to pave the way for the Messiah. Now he's in jail, and he knows he's going to die. He's probably being mistreated in jail. He's about to get his head removed from his body. And he tells his disciples, hey, will you go to Jesus and send a message and just ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should I be expecting someone else? He's having a lapse in courage. He's feeling fear. He's saying, is this really what I want to die for? Is Jesus really the Messiah? You can kind of feel the fear and trepidation just by that question. So his disciples go to Jesus to inquire, to ask about that. And what does Jesus say to the messengers? What he doesn't say is, let's get a prayer team together. Let's get a worship team and go sing Waymaker for him. Let, let's, let's bake a cake and cookies and, and sing Kumbaya outside his jail cell and just really support him in his time of need. He doesn't say that at all. He tells the messengers, the disciples, he says, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. He's basically saying the prophecy is being fulfilled. And then he says this line, you can see on the screen, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And that message gets to John. Because what is Jesus saying with that final statement? He's saying, 
you know what? It's good for you to not fall away as you follow me because it's tough to follow the Messiah. It's tough to follow Jesus. And for many people through history of time, they've lost their lives while following Jesus. And he's saying, you know what, John, send this message to John. It's good that he stays strong to the end because he knows I'm the Messiah. And scripture doesn't show this, but I can imagine when John, behind bars, gets that message, I bet he just, when, when they said, yeah, and Jesus said, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. I bet John just shook his head and goes, oh, that's so Jesus. That's so something Jesus would say. And I bet he's like, dang, why did I doubt? He stung me with that one. I should have known better. Of course, Jesus is the Messiah. He didn't need Jesus to come and hug him and pat him on the back and say, there, there. They had such an intimate relationship that that message of encouragement was all he needed. And you know what? I long for that kind of intimacy with Jesus. That's one of my goals in life is I want to be so close to Jesus that I don't need a pat on the back all the time. That I can hear a word in his scripture or a word from the Holy Spirit, and I can just respond to it. That I don't need to stop and pray and ask God for five confirmations and two sermons and some kind of a fleece that I'm going to lay out before I respond to what God's asking me to do. That I can just hear his calling and respond to it fearlessly, even if it's to the point of death. That's really the call of every follower of Jesus, is to be comforted, strengthened by the Holy Spirit, so we can fulfill the mission that he's called us to. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. The next point is comfort to strength. Comfort to tough love, comfort to strength. Jesus was preparing his disciples for the confrontation that they'd have with the world. He says, the world hated me, the world hates me, they're going to kill me, and the world's going to hate you too as my followers. And we've been living in great prosperity and freedom in America, but we're starting to see that more and more with Christianity, that the world is going to hate us. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be trials and tribulations. There's going to be problems. We shouldn't be surprised by that. We shouldn't be offended by that. It's part of following Jesus. And he's prepared us for that. And he's told his followers before he went away, before he ascended, to wait for the Holy Spirit who was going to bring them a kind of comfort that again wasn't a pat on the back, not only a pat on the back, but it was going to be something to strengthen them to fulfill the mission as followers of Jesus, to spread the good news, to courageously, fearlessly proclaim the word of God, and that we don't have to do it on our own. Because Jesus was alongside his disciples and followers. But he said, I'm going away. And when I go away there's going to be something even better who's going to be alongside every Christian. Every believer who receives the Holy Spirit is going to have this kind of representation. The Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the parakletos, is like an attorney. In in the original language, when when that word that was used for the Holy Spirit, it would be to describe a family attorney who's on permanent retainer. It's like if you ever watched the movie The Godfather, where Tom Hagen, the character he plays, like the family consigliere, he's like the attorney who's there for all the needs. He's there. It's like a wartime person who's by your side. That that 
fight trainer who's in your corner, the person who you're going to go into battle with, who's going to be there with you. They're not there for the after effect, but they're they're with you every step of the way. Jesus is saying, there's someone better that's coming who will be there next to all Christians for all time, and he's the Holy Spirit, and says in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You're going to have that kind of strength with you. Now let me just, again, dispel the misconception that the Holy Spirit is just there to console us after we've been hurt or just to dry our tears. When you think of the language as an advocate, as a strengthener, as a counselor, as a mighty God who is with you, the Holy Spirit, I want you to think of it in terms like this. If you had to go to trial, and it's some kind of a case where you're going to be standing before a judge where your life, your freedom is on the line. Like, this is big. This is everything for you. And you sit down, and it's before the trial is to begin, and you're at the table, and you're the defendant. Do you want the attorney next to you to be a comforting type who's going to slide over a box of Kleenex and a bottle of water and pat you on the back and say, oh, you, I'm here for you. Be comforted by my presence. Or do you want the kind of attorney that's going to say, I did research on this. I have a loophole. We're going to win this. We're going to kick their butt because I have the answer. You're getting out of this. You're going to go free. That's the kind of counselor you want. That's the kind of attorney you want. That's the kind of advocate that Scripture is describing as the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the problems that we have in today's world is that people long for the comfort, the nookie blanket, wrap me in a warm wrap me in a warm blanket so I can just watch Netflix all day and just chill out. And even self-care has taken on something that it probably shouldn't be. People can navel-gaze and look down and think about all the pain they've been through and just, I just need to be comforted all the time. And that's what really God wants for me. And can be so focused on that that they become no good for the kingdom of God in our true calling to spread the gospel. Now, something that I just talked to, I do a lot of work with college students in Chi Alpha, you know, ministries on, on secular campuses. And I was talking to one director recently. I was preaching at a retreat. And she said, it is so hard to get college-age students to commit to anything, especially on the weekend. Because she said, ever since COVID, and she's been in this game for a long time. She said, ever since COVID, there's a new option that college students have. And that is called self-care me time. Where instead of committing to something, they will say, I need the weekend to just take care of me. And they'll sit in their dorm room or their apartment or their bedroom and just stare at their phone looking at TikTok and Reels and Netflix movies and eating snacks and just be alone the whole weekend. And she said, that never used to be an option. But now, since COVID, when everyone's cooped up, that is an option. And I was thinking about that, that that, is so, that can be so destructive because if you were to sit in a room by yourself all weekend and drink alcohol and just numb out the world or do drugs or take pills or do whatever, you would be considered an addict or a degenerate. But if you're just sitting there watching movies doing all by yourself, sometimes it can come under the guise of self-care. Now, I'm all for taking care of ourselves. I'm all for, for not being workaholics. I go to therapy. 
I do a lot of things that I have to do. I take a nap every day. That's part of my body's healing process. I'm all for that. But the two are not mutually exclusive. You can be comforted with a pat on the back and have self-care and have this Holy Spirit comfort you while at the same time, with his other hand, he's saying, they're there, but he's also pointing out and saying, they're there. That there's a world that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And that you can be comforted by the Holy Spirit while you're also being strengthened to go out and do the work of the Holy Spirit. I think about this, that from the time of Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection to the time of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is 50 days. That's very significant in many ways. But I've often thought, why, other than just the festivals and the dates and the prophecies, why the 50 days? Why was Jesus with them for 40 days before his ascension? And here's my personal theory on that. It's one of the reasons. This is one of the reasons that I believe. I think Jesus gave them that time before they received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, when really the church kicked off and the mission began to unfold of preaching the gospel, I think Jesus' followers needed time to heal. They needed time to process. They needed time to deal with PTSD. Because think about it. The person that they loved the most in the world, Jesus, their leader, they watched him brutally murdered. They watched him getting executed and tortured and dying. You know, we look at the disciples, and sometimes we can see them as robots, but they are real people. If you saw someone you loved more than anyone else get killed like that, and then they're resurrected and come back to life, it would take some time for your mind to wrap around that and to heal from that. And I think God, in his graciousness, in his mercy, in his love, in his care for us, he will bring us through a time of healing, a time of comfort, a time of a pat on the back, with the purpose of us being prepared to go out into the world where he's pointing with his other hand and saying, they're there. There's a world of people who are hurting and dying who need to hear the gospel. He comforts us to comfort. That's the the third and final point that I have. He brings us from comfort to comfort. He consoles us. He heals us. He helps us but he also strengthens us, encourages us, and empowers us to spread the gospel. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 through 4, is one of the verses that that speaks to me and my family so much for the things that we've been through. Because my wife and I, we've been through, I listed off a few things at the beginning. We've been through a lot. Like many lifetimes worth of trauma. And I know it's not a contest, but if there was a trauma contest, I'd win a lot of contests, okay? We've been through a lot. And one of the things that I've seen over and over again is that God redeems everything we go through when we give it to him. And he comforts us so that we can comfort others. My whole ministry, everything I do in ministry, it really revolves around the tragedies that I've gone through in life and helping other people with that. I was a hopeless alcoholic, but now that I've been sober almost 25 years, I talk to people all the time about how they can be free as well. My marriage was on the brink of divorce. And now 
Because God saved our marriage and restores. I talk to people who are struggling with their marriages all the time. I talk to people who are dealing with, with miscarriages and loss and infertility about how they can have children. That's Our whole life is about that. And that's how God brings us from comfort to comforting others. In this verse, in, in 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4, it says, Praise be to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. The scripture says comfort a number of times, but we are comforted not just to wallow in our pain and to think about it all day, but we're comforted to help other people. And here's the thing. We're not called to wait until we're all fixed to go and help other people. You're never going to be all fixed. And I don't say that as speaking a curse over you, but there's always going to be another problem. Even Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Jesus wasn't cursing us when he said that. He's just stating a fact. We're not in heaven yet. There's going to be problems. There's going to be people that are going to misuse you. They're going to mistreat you. They're going to do all kinds of things to you. That's life. And we can still heal from that. We can still get help for that. We can still be comforted from that. But we're constantly called to move forward. We can lead while we bleed. That's part of being a Christian. That's part of being a follower of Jesus. And he calls us to that life, and he, he will, in a miraculous way, use our pain when we let him to help other people because he gives us that perspective that I've been through that, and your situation might be a little different, but I can point to you that there's something better that God wants to do. Think about this. Ladies, if you're a mentor in a youth group to a 15-year-old girl, and you have a relationship with her, you're her youth leader, you're mentoring her, and you find out that the boy she's been dating, that she was madly in love with at 15, that that boy just broke her heart. And she's devastated. She's crushed. She can't see the future. In fact, she's almost suicidal because of this. And you come around her and you want to console her and you want to pat her on the back and love her and be a shoulder she can cry on. But at the same time, there's something, even though you're only a few years older than her, there's something within you welling up saying, that boy is not your identity. That, 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 this relationship is not your future. God has so much more for you than this relationship. You have potential beyond what you're feeling right now. And yeah, I know it hurts. And I want to edify you in that. I want to have empathy with you as you're going through this pain. But just everything within you wants to just show her the future of what her life is going to look like in a short time with Jesus. And what the word of God says about her. And you say, you are a child of God. You have so much more for you. God has so much more for you than what you're feeling right now. That same power that's welling up within you in that moment, think about God, how he feels about us. When we're going through a hard time, the Holy Spirit calls us and says, I have so much more for you than the pain that you're facing right now. And I want you to be healed. I want you to be encouraged. But you're going to be strengthened to be used in a mighty way in the future. God will use our pain for his purpose through the comfort and the strengthening of his Holy Spirit every single time we give it to him. And it's pointing to a hope that is not just a hope in this life. And it's a hope that is found in heaven, a hope for eternity. 
And one of the things that the Holy Spirit is constantly pointing us to is the hope of heaven. Because if we just think about having everything perfected in this life, we've missed the whole point. That we, as followers of Jesus, are to lay down our lives for eternity, for heaven, and to bring as many people there with us as possible. And the more we get our eyes on heaven, the more comfort we receive in the pain that we're going through right now. I want to close with this story. And it was when I was 18 years old, I was fresh out of high school, and I was talked into being a camp counselor at Lake Geneva Bible Camp. And it was with kids. I had no business. I was a knucklehead. I was 18. I didn't know what I was doing. But I had a group of elementary school boys. And there was one who was a third grader, seemed way too young to be at camp. But what did I know? And this little boy was really cute. He had this floppy blonde hair. And he started having problems where every time, every mealtime, he would have a panic attack and start choking, even like on a sip of water, and he'd run out of the cafeteria. When some of the older counselors and the camp pastor and the nurse, they began to talk to him, and he began to share some things with them where back home he was suffering abuse, like the worst kind of abuse imaginable. And so they contacted the authorities, and they got social workers involved, and they all said, leave him at camp this week, he's safe, but at the end of the week, he's not going back home. He's going to be going somewhere else, he's not going back to his family. And I remember hearing that as just like an 18-year-old. My mind was blown. I was like, how could someone do this to this kid? I don't get it. And I struggled with like, what do we say to him? What do we do? And the older camp pastor, what he would do is every meal, he would take this little boy down to the dock. If you've ever been to Lake Geneva, it's a beautiful lake that's on. And there was a dock, and they would sit at the end of the dock, and he would have his tray of food, and this older pastor would rub his back so the little boy could eat. And he'd be able to finish his meals. And I remember standing up at the top of the stairs looking down. I'm like, I wonder what he's saying to that kid. And so after a few days, I asked the camp pastor. Because I had a call to ministry. I'm like, I, I want to learn. I'm like, what do you say to a kid like that? You know, I see you rubbing his back. And this pastor, he looked me in the eyes. And he kind of had fire in his eyes. He goes, you know what I don't tell him? I don't tell him that if he tries really hard, he's going to make the soccer team. I don't tell him that he's so smart that he's got a great future and he could be president of the United States someday. Because I don't tell him that, you know what, he could be a doctor, he can do whatever he sets his mind to. Because those things would all be lies. What I do, he goes, I sit there and I talk to him about heaven. And I tell him how beautiful heaven is and how Jesus made a way and that he's going to be going to heaven and no matter what he faces in this life, that he has a home in heaven where there's going to be no more pain, no more abuse, no more tears. And he goes, because that's the only hope I can promise him through Jesus Christ. And I've thought that made a mark on me that we're all, in many ways, like that little boy. And the world and other people sometimes want to tell us things that's like a pat on the back that's not really true, but Jesus is pointing and saying, I'm not just saying they're there, but I'm saying they're there. There's an eternity that I've prepared for you. There's the hope of heaven, and there's the comfort and the strength I'm giving you in this life, not just for yourself, but for you to share that with the hurting and hopeless word world. Jesus would say to us right now, blessed are you, who do not fall away, who do not stumble on account of me. And the Holy Spirit gives us strength and gives us comfort to live this life 
for all of eternity. Heavenly Father, I pray right now, God, that we'd receive this word from you. That's a tough love word, but it's an encouraging word, God, from your scripture that you have sent your Holy Spirit to give us all the strength, the power we need. You're closer to us than we are to ourselves. You know us better than we know ourselves. You love us more than we could love ourselves. Help us to respond to your word, to your power, to your love, to your comfort, and your strength. God, I pray for anyone here today that is hurting. God, that you would wrap your arms around them, that you would give them the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the strength and the power that we all need to move forward serving you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.